Welcome to another episode of the Federal Newswire Lunch Hour Podcast with your host, Andrew Langer. Well, hey there, welcome to another episode of the Federal Newswire's Lunch Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Langer. Thank you so very much for joining us. I'm very excited to have our guest on today. His, uh, he's a congressman from the great state of Arizona, Arizona's 5th Congressional District. His name is Andy Biggs. Congressman, listen, let's just jump right into it. Uh, we have the recent reports now that uh, uh, the, the Inspector General at Customs and Border Protection uh, was telling, or we find out that CBP was uh, ordering folks to not offer up registration uh, numbers to folks who are coming in the country, so now we have no way of tracking how, uh, who knows how many people. This is a particular issue that is near and dear to your heart in Arizona. Talk about that. Yeah, uh, it's we could actually, Andrew, we could spend hours talking about it, but let's just talk about what's happening uh, t- uh, today. Reports, you know, 203,000 encounters. Most people don't realize what an encounter is. Yeah. An encounter on the border is where somebody has been arrested or surrendered, and yeah. and... and 203,000. Every day in a small town of Yuma, a thousand people are encountered. Amazing. Yeah, and so this is what you see happening. Um, but we're not, something that's really dangerous that we're not really reporting on enough is this year over half a million known Godaways. Wow. And then uh, it's estimated another half a million no, uh, unknown Godaways. So what, so what that boils down to is you've got a million people that we don't even know where they're coming yeah. from, what their intentions are, where they're going. But the bottom line is uh, most of the people that are coming in, the 2 million people that came in in the last 12 months, we don't know where they are either. I want to talk about, there was a recent congressional hearing you guys had. I want to talk about that in a second. But your role as vice chair of the Western Caucus. So I've yeah. been out to Western states, spent a, spent a lot of time working on public lands issues. I've watched people cross the border illegally in California, which is and in Arizona, which is incredibly disturbing. This is 15, 20 years ago. But the issue of federal land ownership and the issue of wilderness areas in places like Arizona, that helps to exacerbate this problem, right? If you have large swatches of land that are owned by the federal government, the federal government doesn't patrol them and gives, you know, illegals unfettered access to interstates. I had a conversation with a radio DJ down in Tucson about this. Talk about those issues and how the the two issues can get interrelated. Yeah, so um, until uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, actually, under the Trump administration, they started allowing it. There was a uh, wilderness preserve sitting right on the border. Yeah. And um, what would happen is illegal aliens would come in. Uh, we won't get into how many ways they would come in, but they would drive their vehicles, and they cut roads into this pristine wilderness. Sure. And, and, our, and at that time, our CBP agents were not allowed to even go on there. Right. Because they're wilderness areas. They're wilderness yeah. areas. So now, uh, you know, for a while, there we, they had to ask permission to chase. And, and my understanding is, is now they can go on. But the problem is, uh, uh, let's take Arizona, for instance. You've got, you've got um, over 60 linear miles of, native, uh, of a native reservation. Sure. Native, and so that reservation, we get to patrol a little bit, but there's no fencing there. Yeah. And, and that is a, it's a huge corridor for drug and, and human right. trafficking. And, and so anytime you've got these open areas where the federal government is controlling the land, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they're, le- they're leasing land to ranchers, but it's, federal, it's federally owned. Sure. And they just might have a two or three strand barbed wire fence there. Well, 
it is a trafficking uh, hub. Right, right. So they and they just come right up. Now you run, as I understand it, you take people down to the border to sort of watch this. As I said, I've been down working on other public lands issues. Happened to just be driving along I ten along the border and saw this. Tell us about your your trips. You know what how how this works. So I um, every few months I take uh, members of Congress down. Now I go down all the time myself, but I I will also yeah. invite some to come with me now and then. And we've we've taken dozens and dozens yeah. of members. So what, the last time was just a couple weeks ago in Yuma. So I'll give you uh, uh, the way it works. Right now, the the the, the super highway of, of illegal crossings is really running midnight to about six thirty seven a.m. Sure. Why? It's hotter than hell. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had him down there. It's one hundred sixteen degrees, middle of the day. That's just kind of the way the tour had worked out. And I said, oh, look, you're not going to see anybody crossing, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's coming across. But sure enough. There are people coming across. Yeah. In fact, there's a family from Russia, three people from Russia, and and wow. mom, dad, daughter. What's the first words, or almost the first words they say? We want asylum. Sure, of right. course. So, so it's it's nonstop. You see it, uh, and what the reason I do this is because until people see it, right. it's hard to understand. It's hard to appreciate. Listen, this was certainly the way it was for me. I mean, I'm driving along to deal with a, a, a federal lands issue, driving along I-10 and just watching people cross the border. It's sure. like, wait a minute, wait, it, it's mind-blowing to me. Now, there was a, at the time, there was a Wackenhut bus that picked somebody up. But again, the idea, you know, what if the bus hadn't been there? What if somebody else had picked them up? I mean, it's, it, it is amazing to me. Now, along these lines, you, you were just telling me about a, a hearing that was that was recently had. I know we're talking about election issues in Congress. We're talking about disclosure issues in Congress. Talk about this and how it relates to the illegal immigration issue. Well, so a lot of people say to me, why? I mean, this is obviously this is overtly um, uh, intentional on the part of this administration yeah. to open the border. People say, well, why is that? Well, so yesterday, uh, or recently, recently we yeah, had recently, a hearing. Yes, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. We had a hearing in, in judiciary, and it was a, a voting rights deal. Uh, and so we said, well, we want to clarify that nothing you're doing here, sure. because their language would allow any person to vote. And we wow. said, we want to clarify that only the U.S. citizens sure. can vote. They voted that down on wow. a party line vote. So this, they, they, they unintentionally reveal their hand constantly right. that, that this is about... Oh, they want more voters. They think they're going to get more voters by incentivizing people to come here and giving them uh, benefits, welfare, social welfare benefits. Right. I mean, it goes along with this whole idea of, right, they want to expand the voter base by whatever means necessary. This is yeah. also part and parcel of the folks who yeah. want to lower the voting age from 18 to yeah. 16. I, yeah. I'm going to take the controversial position and say we should be going the other way, especially now that we no longer have an all <laughs> uh, or a mandatory army or we have an all volunteer military. But yeah, I mean, this is this is all part and parcel uh, of this to to to, to change the, the the voting side of it. Yeah. Let's talk about the federal lands issue and the work of the Western Caucus. It, you know, it, because this is I've done some work in Nevada. You know, eighty what is it, eighty six percent owned by the federal government. I know in in Arizona it's a little bit lower, but still it creates huge challenges, especially in northern Arizona. Right? People forget that your district, the fifth is roughly in the center of the state. There's a huge swatch of, of, of land north of you. Yeah, a absolutely. And, it, you know, so the Phoenix metro area has 5 million people, and yeah. so people think, oh, Arizona's just Phoenix, but it's not. Arizona's like the fifth, is the fifth geographically largest state in the sure. country. And of that, uh, roughly 82% of it is controlled 
by government, either federal or state. Okay, got it. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so what happens is, I mean, it, it impacts everything from from how do you fund schools? Sure. Well, most most states, Arizona included, include, uses um, of uh, state, uh, you know, property taxes, right, sure. to, to fund. Well, when you don't have, you can't expand your property tax of base course. because we don't own the land. So what happens then is the federal government steps in, and then they they. As they do, they screw it up and sure. they, they underfund. And they pay payments and little taxes, pay, pill payments. Yeah, yeah. That's right, pill payments. So they step in, those are underfunded, but then we don't have enough money to expand right. it anyway. And so everybody gets to be underfunded. Um, and then there's mismanagement. So you have things like in California, uh, the, they're throwing out over 100,000 uh, acre feet of water every sure, year that, yeah. that the whole their state needs. We need some. If they're going right. to throw it out, send it to sure, Arizona. But... Uh, so you got the water mismanagement, you got forest mismanagement. Yeah. So the reason why, so you get tremendous erosion, and then you also have lots of wildfires in the right. west. And those wildfires would be uh, far more easily managed if you would allow people to go in and kind of manage the forest the way they used to. But right now, uh, the federal government uh, encroaches on all of this stuff. So before you came to Congress, you were president of the state senate, right? And you yes. were in the state senate for a number of years. So you were particularly attuned to the challenges that local governments face in, in Arizona. I know when I was working on an issue in Nevada, one of the things they talked about was the, the, the feds back east being a poor neighbor. So, for instance, this one county, uh, there was a, um, um, uh, this is before cell service, there was about 100 yards of federally owned land between the highway and where the phone line was and where the county dump was. Right. And in order to get the phone line strung across, they had to go through all of the paperwork with the Department of the Interior. These are the kinds of challenges that local governments in Arizona are facing all the time, aren't they? Uh, exactly yeah. right. And what a great way of putting it, that, you. that, your, that your eastern, the, the, the federal government back east is a poor neighbor oh, to yes. the local government. That's yeah. a great way of putting Thank it, because it really is. Yeah. That really is the problem. So let's, shifting our attention, because I want to talk about the fifth, and I want to talk about your background a little more, but before we get there, well, actually, we'll go in it this way. You're an author. You wrote a book. I, I have the title here, The Con of the Con Con. Um, I, I've, I recently had a chance to chat with Ilya Shapiro from the Manhattan Institute. He's yeah. a great constitutional scholar. And we were talking about the amendment process and the constitutional convention. You are concerned as I am about a, a yeah. runaway constitutional convention. Talk about that. Yeah, so, and that's why I wrote the book, because yeah. I, I took that position and I ended up debating all over the country. And people would say, well, why? How, how can they possibly be against it? Well, here's why. There's two ways to amend the Constitution. One is is a, a, a convention uh, way. They're calling it the convention of the states, but, but in order to uh, get that convention going, you still have to involve Congress. Yeah. You petition Congress, and you get three-fourths of the states uh, to petition, uh, and they come in, and Congress issues the call. Yeah. Now people say, oh, it's just a ministerial function. It is not no. just a ministerial function. Congress can set up par whatever parameters. They get to set the date, the time, the location, and they could say, you, you're going to cover these areas, other areas would not count. Well, there's no way with the money and right. the media that's out there, there is no way you can have a convention like you had uh, in the in 1787 right. with with the the founders. Because what what happened there is they could close up the doors, and they could keep everybody there, and and nothing would get out. Sure. And it didn't get out. Right. Um, that wouldn't happen today. And it would be manipulated, and 
I will just tell you, people on the right get ticked at me, but people on the left get ticked at me too, because believe me, just as many people on the left have cons constitutional amendments that they want to propose as people on the Without right. Without a doubt. I mean, listen, we have this uh, we have this piece that was recently in Politico, by, I think it was by uh, John Harris, about the way to deal with, if you believe that Donald Trump is a threat to the Constitution, the only way to solve it is to amend the Constitution. And, and you know this is this is deeply troubling to me because you're right. It's it's one of those things where you have folks on the left who would want to get rid of the Second Amendment. They would want to certainly change yeah. the definition of how property can be taken in the Fifth Everything Amendment. Everything from marriage, uh, you, you name it. I've right. I've, I've got it sourced in my book. I mean all this stuff. But the bottom line is this. Yeah, Andrew, it's always the question that they can't they can't answer to me. I always ask them, is it the people who are in power that fail to follow the Constitution? Or is it the Constitution the problem? Which is the problem? Right. It's not the Constitution. 100%. I guarantee it. Agreed. It is yeah. the people that ignore the Constitution. And, and but we have the mechanism as people of the United States to enforce that. Uh, and it and it isn't necessarily changing the Constitution. It is actually changing the people. I had this conversation a few years ago with um, uh, a member of Congress. I was working on small business issues and regulatory issues, and I know that's a, another area of of, of interest of you. Um, and he said, how do we get to that? Now, at the time, the regulatory state only cost America, the American economy about $1.2 trillion annually. We're now probably above $3 trillion, at least by my estimates. And he said, well, what's the problem here? Because he, I mean, And he was looking for me to say that it was you know, the administration and the agencies. And I said, well, no, Congressman, it's your problem. It's your, you're the reason, you, know, you and your colleagues are the reason why, is because you're passing vague laws that leave... The, yeah. the wording open to massive interpretation, and, and listen, this is not to not members of Congress, obviously I want thank you for being here, but, but talk about the problem of politics and vague legislative language and giving the agencies uh, um, all of this power. So, so that you've touched on two or three things, and I want to I hit them all. Please. Uh, first of all, um, we should not be delegating rulemaking authority to, to these agencies. Because yeah. here's the deal, they, they make the rules, they then enforce the right. rules and investigate what they perceive to be wrongdoing, so they, be, they, they abuse that power, and then they adjudicate right. that. That's what James Madison said is the quintessential definition of tyranny, Sure, as all those powers combined in one place. We've, we've done that over and over again for 100 years now. Right. Uh, the, the second thing is, and I actually, heard, I actually heard a congressman say this once, that the purpose that they do the, this vague language um, and delegate authority is so members of Congress are not held exactly. accountable. Oh, I agree with that. So they can stand up and say, well, you know, I, that's the EPA's doing. Exactly. It's not, not me. I'll, I'll work on, see what we can do to fix. That is bogus. I agree, 100%. And, and the third thing is um, we, have, we have basically allowed them to run away with no oversight. We don't defund. I ran a bill four years ago to get rid of an agency that everyone agreed was duplicative. You know what they I, I, I lost four Republican sure. votes in the committee, and I couldn't even get out of the committee um, uh, when it was a Republican sure. majority. You know, it, and that's a, it's, it's so troubling when that happens. Remember the, the, um, the trouble that Ronald Reagan had to shut down the Interstate Commerce Commission, yeah. which I believe is the only agency, right, because the other agencies have morphed into other things. You know, we have uh, Homeland Security, for instance. It was, a, you know, an amount of 17 now. Yeah, so, so but, but you know, I, I can't think of a single agency that has ever been zeroed out in my lifetime, except for the Interstate Commerce Commission, and we saw the, the, the you know, the rigmarole that the president went through for that. I mean, this is, and, and you're right, there is, yeah. at least at, during the, the beginning part of the Trump administration, 
there were those executive orders on regulatory transparency and accountability and the idea that these agencies had to open themselves up. Any, any hope of, uh, of seeing in a Republican Congress with a Republican president down the road some way of codifying that kind of language? Well, I would, I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that there, many of my colleagues agree with that 100%. In fact, I would say most Republicans, yeah. uh, if not all, agree with that in Congress. But you got to have the courage. That's exactly it. To and the political will. And then the other problem is we're we're a bicameral body, and um, it'll take sixty votes in the Senate, and the, which unless but there are ways to get around that. Sure. And the senators have to say that that's a priority, and and I, if we're going to save the country, I believe you got to devolve uh, power away from the state uh, center and back to the states. Of and one of the ways you do that is you start dismantling. The federal bureaucratic state. Yeah. And if you do that, then the states, I mean, like Arizona, when I was there, we had to fight uh, OSHA um, on on a particular standard that our state standard produced better results sure. than the federal standard. <laughs> it's amazing but, how that Yeah, uh, the data was clear, and we, yeah. we'd say, well, but, but here we are, you know, and they would say, we want you to do this. Yeah. We had to fight them on dust and air pollution. Oh, yeah. And they'd say, well, you know, you got too much, you know, uh, pollutants in the air and it's but and it's dust is your number one particulate okay well how would you have a solved dust in a desert yeah water they would say sure and so so i said well you want us to do water and then the other half of the epa would say you guys are wasting water it, it, it's funny because it gets down to one of, one of my other favorite examples i talk about which is that that EPA wanted to abate dust, right? So yeah. they forced a bunch of folks to pave over their parking lots. <laughs> Businesses, they pave over their parking lots. And then what happens, they come back and they say, well, no, now under the, the uh, Safe Drinking Water Act, you now have created all of this impervious surface. Right. You have the runoff, so we're now going to tax you for that. And so you're damned if you're doing, you're damned if you don't yeah. in the end. Yeah, and, that, and that's why you have to start taking this uh, yeah. this apart. And, and members in Congress... And quite frankly, a lot of a lot of them live in a bubble. They don't. Oh, yeah. They don't appreciate it. I mean, they'll go back and say hi, and they'll do, uh, you know, a chamber event and, and eat breakfast with them. The reality is, you have to take a hard 100%. look at what we're doing here and how it impacts the locals. Let's talk about the fifth congressional district. Actually, before we talk about the fifth congressional, well, let me ask you this: So, you were in the state senate for fourteen years. Uh, senate for six, House for eight. Okay, got it. But you, so so how did how different is the federal Congress from your experience in, in the state legislature? Uh, it, <laughs> I may be the only person who's ever asked you that no, question. No, no, you're not. You're okay. not. In fact, I was on the floor sitting with a, a colleague of mine who served in the state legislature okay. with me. And we were lamenting that in the state legislature, um, first of all, uh, even even when you had disagreements with the governor, you worked with the governor. Sure, of course. Uh, even if you had disagreements, you could move stuff through much more quickly. Interesting. And much more substantive, and would have immediate impact, and you would see that stuff in Congress. Uh, you know, like with this administration, we don't. We, I've never seen G Joe Biden. Sure. I mean, for sure. And then the Democrats ch have changed the rules. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first rule they changed is they said you can't remove Nancy Pelosi as speaker <laughs> if you got the votes. You know. Yeah. So you got you. They they do all that stuff, and they slow it down on one hand, and then when they want to do something, they'll speed it up, jam it through. Without debate, I yeah. mean, in, in in a state legislature, you have regular debates where everybody gets to get and have the. Debate. I have a colleague who is very big on the concept of returning to regular order yes. as a way of, as a way of solving problems. Yes. We certainly need that. 
So, okay, let's let's let me let me put a hypothetical out there. I am coming out to Arizona. I got some days to spend for whatever reason. I'm com coming out there for business, but I come out there a little early. I make my way east of of Phoenix to the fifth congressional district. Yeah. What should I see in the in the fifth? Oh, there, first of all, great restaurants in okay. the fifth. Whether it's Gilbert Chandler Mesa, uh, uh, the QC uh, AJ, uh, then you need to get out to toward the Superstition Mountains. Um, and and get out there and Lost Dutchman State Park. You got to go in and hike in, in the trails that are uh, all around my district, um, and you know just just great stuff. And then uh, you know you, you can never go wrong. We've got we've got perhaps the world's largest uh, state uh, you know uh, uh, athletic park. There's, okay. There's always games going on sure. out there. So. Uh, and then, then let's face it. Uh, a lot of people come to Arizona to golf. Sure. So you're going to want to golf. You're going to enjoy the weather. The bottom line is you're going to want to get out of your house, get out of your car, and move around. We got the Riparian Preserve five minutes from my house. Bird watchers from all oh, over wow. the world come in. That's great. And what's crazy is um, um, we have some flood irrigation, um, and when that happens, exotic birds from Riparian Preserve. Come from that place, and they land in my yard. <laughs> That's it's, amazing. So, so it's a great place. Well, listen, you just got to be careful with that because you know where there was a there were can't there, touch there, them. There, you can't touch them. <laughs> and remember, there were there were justices who were thinking you can't even look at them in your backyard. They're going to shut them down. So, yeah. um, let let me ask you before I let you go. So, I I contemplated this whole other podcast called Outside Interest, where we yeah. talk to folks in politics and policy about stuff having nothing to do with politics and policy. I know you're a member of Congress, so you don't have a whole ton of free time. But what, what are some of your outside interests? What have been your outside interests? So uh, I read a lot, a lot of books. Uh, I write a lot. and um, But I also do music. And so, really? last, so last night in D.C., my band played, and we did a short set. I have set. no idea. What do you play? Uh, last night I played keyboards. Okay. Yeah, but I, I, do, I do some guitar work as well. I used to play the bass a lot uh, in, in different bands. And... Uh, and so, what kind of music are you playing? I mean, listen now, now, now. Listen, I know you. I know you've got to go, but now you've sort of tapped into something here. Yeah. So, so I like all kinds of music, but okay. that, but that band, uh, that band that we have now is a, is a cover band. So okay. We play rock and rolls from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s to you know 2000s. Are you a vinyl guy? You were you a vinyl guy? Did you? Did you... I was a vinyl guy. Okay. Um, but right now, I, I don't care. I just listen to to any Anything? format. And I listen to what I like. There's only two kinds of music: music I like and music I don't. So, like. so what's so what's like a, what's a what's a go-to? See, it's it, this is exactly what I want to do in this in this other podcast, which is this idea. Yeah. Because I don't know if you know uh, Jim Neal over on the Senate side. He works with with Peter McConnell. Jim's yeah. a big music guy. Yeah. There's a, a, a activist a policy guy in town named Bill Pasco who's huge into music. Yeah. Uh, I obviously I love. So, what's what's sort of your go-to favorite band, favorite concert you might have seen? So. Um, uh, I know it's tough. Yeah, I mean, there's so many, but but uh, so I like right now. If you finger picking guitar, do some finger picking. Tommy Manuel's good. Um, there's there's a couple other uh, guys like sure. that. But Steve Vai was oh, was yeah. a great concert. Uh, then uh, so who else recently? Uh, we're, I'm going to go to a group called Please. Leonidas and Friends coming to Higley. Okay. If you, I don't know if you've heard of Leonidas. I, yeah, these no, these yeah. are Ukrainian. Russians uh, who are touring America, it's, it's always interesting. They've been a band for since uh, well before the the conflict over there. They do covers. They do that's covers, astounding. and they're they're incredible. They they'll play Earth, Wind, and Fire in Chicago, wow. and, and, and and just beautiful beautiful rendition. So, you know, if it's 
I'll do classical. I'll do jazz. I'll That's do, amazing. I'll, do, I'll even do some country if, if I like it. Um, uh, you know, I know people are, can't believe this, but there's some Post Malone stuff okay, I no, like. Sure. You know? I mean, so it's just if I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. No, I, no, I get that. I actually sent a friend of mine uh, my playlist, and it was it was you know '60s rock and, and '70s yeah. stuff, funk and disco it, and world music. So, and so coming out, Rachmaninoff's Third Piano Concerto. Okay, sure. By, uh, I, I like Van Cliburn's the best. I know that there uh, there's some other great ones that that are that play that, but I mean that's that's where I go. Well, Congressman, listen, you and I clearly could spend a lot of time talking about that, but I know your time is precious. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank today. you, Andrew. Appreciate it. You've been watching and or listening to the Federal Newswire's Lunch Hour podcast. Enjoy the rest of your lunch. See you next week. This has been the Federal Newswire Lunch Hour podcast, hosted by Andrew Langer. Check out the Federal Newswire's family of websites, as well as their social media stream. 